welcome to No Man's Land, brought to you by Tennis Zone Plus, Washington, D.C.'s premier tennis retailer. What's up, guys? This is Cole from No Man's Land Tennis Podcast. I'm super pumped for you guys to listen to this talk. This week's guest, we have Louis Vosselu. I was lucky enough to go down to Florida this week, uh, sit down, have a chat with Louis. Louis is the former coach of Kevin Anderson. Uh, coached Kevin Anderson in 2010 through 2012 um, from 130 to inside the top 30. Um, he's also a phenomenal player. He's got two wins over James Blake. He beat Robin Soderling. He's got a challenger's title in singles and doubles, so he's no slouch as a player at all. He's also just a very, very humble guy, and I'm super lucky to have gotten to sit down and talk to him. I hope you enjoyed this chat, and I hope you learned something new. Here he is, Louis Vosloo. Currently the director of rackets at Grey Oaks Country Club. We're sitting here now. Um, you've got quite some experience in this tennis game. Uh, former 170. You've got a challenger title, and correct me if I'm wrong, two wins over James Blake. And a win over Robin Soderling. Do you ever sit back nowadays now that you're kind of off the tour and just kind of reminisce about those days? Or, or are you in a different headspace now? Um, well, you need about three hours for that question. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I spent probably my first, uh, and that was by pure chance, I probably spent about three years specifically thinking about all of that stuff. Um, currently though, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think about that and the playing, I, I think about the traveling. Um, I think more probably what, what um, when, when I was a coach on tour, I probably think about that more than my playing. My playing. I kind of dealt with my playing probably about a decade ago. Mm. Um, I, I've only played in the last decade. I've only played like three or four times, like in any level of com competition. Uh, I enjoy the game. I, l I like the game a lot. Um, but uh, competitively, I've, I've really kind of changed in, in, in my viewpoints regarding that. Sure. Um, what do you think was the most rewarding part of being on tour as a player or even as a coach? Rewarding, it's a interesting word um i i would we we, we get a ton of like we i ask this, i like to ask this question because if you talk to somebody a lot of the times they'll give you the answer like it's not as glamorous as you think and you know in and out of airports is tough especially if you're not a top 100 player you're grinding it's a lot of wear and tear a lot of you know away from the family so i kind of wanted to get a different uh, standpoint well, of what, what makes it, why buy into it? Well, what's funny about it is, um, w without you trying, like not even trying, but priming me there, is it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, that, that, would, that would probably not make my top, my, my top 100, uh, my top 100 answers because I oh, have, sorry. I have, um, thank you. I have, that was not something, my, my reasons why I, I liked it or what I found rewarding was um, there, there are so many. One, I, I, was, I was independent, I could, I could do what I wanted. Uh, I chased the dream, uh, you feel free. 
you um, you're absolutely living in the moment. There's you're you've only got this tournament. I mean, I was in in France, and I've told the story a few times, but. I was in France, and and if you if you don't win this match, you you don't get home, and you lose, and you sit on the side of the street, and and you're like kind of worried because you win the hotel, and you're not entirely sure how you're gonna pay for the hotel, and and you kind of feel bad in this moment because you're either gonna run away from this hotel or 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 you're gonna wash dishes. One one of the two things are gonna happen. So. Um, that that's kind of frightening when that happens to you and you sign up for lucky loser and you get in and you play the same person and you win and, and they're, they're, that was a pretty fun feeling not just to beat the person after you lost you basically surf the match and then lose 7-6 in the third and then you win 7-6 in the third and so that kind of all that stuff was was to me the enjoyable part. The traveling was the enjoyable part. The the meeting new people. I I remember lying with Kevin and we were in Monaco and playing Monte Carlo and and it's my favorite tournament. We 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 was and, and understandably it's amazing and and we're lying there. It's ocean view and it's beautiful and the hotel's amazing and you can walk to the courts and. And we asked him, I said, Kev, tell me a story in the last six months that was interesting. And, and we couldn't come up with a story. So, so we said, well, well, okay, try. He said, okay. Arrived at the airport. Somebody was there to meet us. They got our luggage. They put us in a fancy car with a driver. Got to the hotel. It was a five-star hotel. They do your laundry, they take you to the courts, the food is five star, built made by chefs. It's you got your practice coach, you get brand new balls. There's nothing to say. And and I just told you what like happens at the bottom at the at the low level, you're like sleeping in a payphone booth. Well now they don't have those anymore, but you sleep in a payphone booth because that's where that you try to save money because you need to get to the next tournament and you don't want to pay 80 bucks because you don't have 80 bucks because when you lose you make $63 after taxes in the first round so I mean the stories that came there where you're staying in all these families and houses and hitchhiking and cars breaking down and I mean that, that it's a whole other level of like living the, be the, the best way I would describe it would have been like backpacking through Europe <laughs> right by college kids yeah. like like that's the best way I would describe it. Um, the sad part about it, which is the sad part, is it. Well, if there was a sad side, is I would be able to write a book about how not to be a professional tennis player. Like literally checked every box. Um, so so most rewarding <laughs> is that right? It, it's the cliche. Like if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have experienced that. And, and I think that's what, what drove my early days on tour as a coach was, was to kind of learn as quick as possible about how it should be done right. <laughs> or how, how do people actually make it? Like, how does that work? So that was rewarding. I think the, the learning experience, the ability, like you can see that two total polar opposites as a player and as a coach, right. um, yeah, just just learning. You basically learn, and then maybe I need to mature. Maybe I needed to be older. Maybe it was the time of my life. Um, 
but to learn like there's actually a method to this there, there's actually a way to do this um, but I, I knew before I went on tour as a coach um, I already learned my my missteps um, so ba based on that it uh, it really helped me be a better coach so, so it was rewarding to watch somebody else go from a kid all the way to to you know playing in two Grand Slam finals Sure. Um, transitioning to your time as a coach on tour. Um, so you've co you coached Kevin Anderson from just outside 100 to about 27th, I think, um, from 2010 to 2012. I watched one of your videos here at the club, and you talked about your philosophy as a coach, and you highlighted four areas, physical, mental, technical, and tactical. Tactical. What would you say Kevin Anderson's biggest strength is? I mean, <laughs> uh, the obvious one is his serve. So you, you, you know, he he made that. We spoke about it earlier. I mean, he made he made one of the top ten all time serve lists. Um, so on tour, you need weapons. He's got one of the best. Um, but I, I think very close second would would be. You can ask anybody on tour. There, there were probably nobody working harder than us. I would agree with you. Um, Every so, time, yeah. so it's that that leads to a lot of things. Now, working hard again, like I said earlier, it, it's not a differentiator. It's an expectation. But um, some of that effort and work that he's put in has it catches up with you, obviously. Um, but some of it has also helped him kind of stay. It takes, this is probably my my sole favorite story to explain um, the difference between between great and good. <laughs> is we, we were practicing at Balotaris in 2010 and the cold front came through and it was probably in the low 40s, maybe, because I, I remember it went below freezing that night. So... It was, it was somewhere in the low 40s and we had a long day. It was probably something like it starts at 6.30 and it was by this moment like 6.30 at night and and the, the training and the, and the gym work and all of that was done and now it was recovery time which, which meant we had to get an ice bath. So we're outside behind the indoor court and we've got one of these little silver bath things because at this moment in 2010, they didn't have one over there. Maybe they got one now, but, but we're out there pouring ice and water in this tub so that he can get an ice bath. And I was wearing like full on tracksuit with a sweater, with a parka, like a ski jacket standing outside. And this guy just gets all his kid off and just gets in the ice bath and sits there. And we've got the clock on. And he just sits there. He's used to that Illinois weather. I mean, I remember just <laughs> thinking to myself. I mean, he, he was cold, but, but I remember thinking to myself, I'm pretty certain I would have found a way not to sit in that <laughs> You know, like, like I, I would have I said something. And, and then I would have... Maybe I would have convinced myself to get in there for a minute, but then I would have said something after a minute. Okay, that's it. I'm out. Too cold. 
and this guy's in blue and he's shivering and and he's he's sitting there doing this so yeah like that's what you don't see yeah. you know it's you don't you don't see I, I thought Andy Murray's documentary on Netflix was pretty good in this regard because because you can actually get a little bit of an insight how they're all a little bit crazy you know it it just it's very difficult and I, I don't mean it in a demeaning or or and I'm not saying they're they're crazy like I don't want to see that out of context but it 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 is really difficult it's really hard and you have to push yourself to a place where most people are not willing to go um, and and the biggest difference not the biggest but th there are a few attributes that becomes essential and and one of them is is perseverance and one of them is persistence and and one of them is discipline so so they have that button <laughs> they just have a button of trying again they just try again you know the discipline of this racket shouldn't be here it should be there and you do it again until you get it there until it's there and you don't think about it um <laughs> so that, that that's that's probably he has that. He has we, that button. I've had the pleasure of being at two of his matches, and he played he played Dominic Team, two thousand seventeen at the City Open, and it was six three, six seven seven six. It was probably the best tennis I've ever seen live. It was incredible. He was his forehand was was raring to go. It was on, and and he was he was he was hitting through Team. Like it was unbelievable, and then I when I came down here to the Miami Open last year, or two years ago now, and he just ran through Jordan Thompson. I mean, I would agree with you because, and this is coming from a guy who I've never played in college. I never, I'm not a, I never played USTA. I played in high school. I like to say that I probably could have played Division three tennis, um, but this is strictly from a guy who just picked up the game because he loved watching it. And I obsess over it, and now, you know, I, I just love, I just like diving into these players. I'm so interested in what goes on, and the first thing that would stand out to me is that Kevin Anderson is is an animal. Like he works so hard, and that's why I'm I, I'm a fan of his. Yeah, it's hard not to respect it. Yeah, right? it's it's hard not to be like, wow, okay, so this person has sculpted. Yeah, he's sculpted himself, amazing, yeah. and, um. I mean, I, I think you alluded to something there. I mean, his forehand's probably... I don't think it's unfair. A lot of people have a lot of a lot of amazing shots, but if he has a little bit of time over the ball, I mean, his forehand is is probably in the top five. It's, yeah. it's probably that good. Um, his forehand inside out is, is pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. And, um, so so physically you're right. I mean serve forehand and then and that that skill. He's a he's a special player. Lloyd Harris gave you a call today. You going back on a tour? No chance. Why not? Family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just I just I just love being at home. I love I love my family and kids and um would I consult? Do I have value to give people? Yeah, I do. Um that's that's annoying. Um because because it's as hard as as hard as it is to make it to let's say top 10 top 20 top 30 because 
most people don't understand this, and, and I didn't understand it, and I was a player, and I played full-time, and the tour exists. The, the tour is the top 44 players in the world. I don't know how many people know this. Okay, so that's the tour. Number 45 is not on the tour. It's the top 44. Well, why is it the top 44? Well, you're gonna get into the top Grand Slams and you're gonna get into every Master Series event. So there's 14 events. They only take you best 16. So if you're top 44 in the world, because that's a guarantee, that's no, Buddy hurt, and then maybe number 45 gets in, maybe number 47 gets in, who knows, maybe COVID strikes and nobody goes. But on a normal year, on a normal week, when they do the entries, the top 44 plays in the Master Series. Now, of course, there's Indian Wells and Miami, fine. Right. Let's not use those, but let's use the others. So to get into there is hard. So that's, that's actually where you want to get into, and that's where you want to stay. And, and if you really understand what's going on there. It basically works in multiplications of two. So you'll, at one stage, it's number one, and then it's, you gotta be twice as good to be number two, and then number four, and then number eight, and number 16, and then number, because of the way the breakdown of the points work. So, so you could be number nine in the world, but you're spades away from number eight or number seven. And the same is true if you're number 17 or 18, you're a long way away from you know, you, you've, you're outside of the gap to get in because that's, that's the breakdown of the round of 16s in a Master Series event or the round of 16s in a Grand Slam. Right. And then, then all of a sudden there's a pocket. There's a pocket again from 23 to 30. And so you basically, it doubles 8 to 15 to 30 to 40, and then it jumps to 80, and then it jumps. So it, it's really, really hard. But then at the same token, it's it's... There's about 10 to 20 coaches or pros that's been there for 10, 15, 20 years. So that only leaves a gap of like 20 other people to get into that top 40 group. So the knowledge is also kind of stored and is together at the top. So, you know, it, it is unique and it is interesting, like Medvedev coming with these, and that's why the guy wins pro of the year. But, um, if it, it comes with help, you know, he, he worked with, um, and I'm trying to remember in the same academy as, as somebody else. Um, I'm trying to remember, and I was surprised to Was he at Murata maybe? Who? Was he at Murata Academy? The... He, he's not. There's another guy. I, I should know this, but there was actually another guy that started academy, but it's also like the south of France or somewhere. And um, it was supposed to be someone else, and this guy just happened to go to one or two tournaments and they they gelled and they ended up doing a few more and they ended up staying together and that's kind of like you know I, I mine was luck with kev as well but um we worked hard as juniors when he was a junior as well before that um so luck that timing was that's the the emphasis of the, the luck um but yeah, it's actually hard to get into that group. I mean, I remember being on tour, so many people asking me, oh, how do I get in? You got in, how do I get in? Do you know anybody? Is anybody looking for a coach? Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, it, it works with the management companies and, and stuff like that. You know, you, you gotta know the agent and the agent needs to trust you because that's their horse. Um, they gotta feel like that, that somebody's gonna train their horse and, 
and, and they're going to be able to run well. So, no, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going on the tour. Um, but but I, would, I would consult. Um, I think I have value to give some yeah. people to understand. I, and, and it doesn't have to be um, in a big way. It could just be a small way as well. I, I don't need any... I don't need validation um, to do any of that stuff. It's, it's, it wouldn't be for me that that's important. It's not important to me. Louis, thank you. Appreciate it. Cool. That was awesome. All right, guys, changing gears to the second part of our chat with Louis. He talks about the standard that the top three guys have set on tour. Enjoy. So the bar, the bar that was created by, by the current top three is, is, is just um, intimidating and overwhelming and impressive and borderline scary. So like an example of what you saw during the US Open final is, is you see two people finally getting a chance to materialize some dream that, that nobody's been able to really be able to accomplish. So then you saw some human elements that you haven't seen for like 15 years or whatever the number was. Because let's say hypothetically, let's use Del Pacho's moment when he won his or when Vavrinka won his or it, it, they were actually the underdog. So it, it, it is to a degree much simpler to play with nothing to lose because yeah, you're gonna get nervous when you get close to that finishing line, but 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 you're not coming out tight when the match starts because you think you have this chance. So you're like, no, I'm playing Nadal, no, I'm playing Federer, no, I'm playing Djokovic, no, you're probably gonna lose. So so there's this part of your brain that's just like, oh, okay, you know, I'm just I'm just gonna do what I do and I'm gonna only do what I do. And then you open up your eyes and you're like, whoa, this is possible. And as you realize it's possible, the more you start believing and the more you, you, you think you can do, like you believe that you can do it. So now you end up with this final with these two guys are like, with literally Zarev, Zarev just couldn't accept the fact that, oh, this is, this is possibly going to happen. And he couldn't get out of his own way. I know. That was at all. Like tight, literally tight couldn't get out of, of match, his own yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, that, that is as big of a, a playing from the front and you can't close as we've seen in a long time. But the bar that was set, it's basically created everyone else to kind of do the same. Because if you don't, you don't survive. So it be, ends up becoming this, this, this standard that is so high that the energy that you, that you actually use is required to actually deal with the opponent that's on the other side of the net. Right. So for a good 10 to 15 years, but let's just say for 10 years, if you wanted to win a slam, you would have had to beat Nadal in the quarters, then Federer in the semis, and then Djokovic in the final. So everybody that was playing had to be three to win it. Yeah. Right? Somehow you had to get freakishly lucky and only have two of them. Now that didn't happen that often, but it did kind of happen a few times. Now everybody else, those three, and Murray to another degree, they only have to beat each other twice, right. not three in a row. So that is probably the main reason why they won so many. And that's like the most over... It's never brought up anywhere online or anywhere. I wouldn't say anywhere. That's not fair. But it wasn't communicated quite frequently and often enough that to beat three of them in a row, you basically don't have any energy left to do anything. 
So that's kind of what forced the mental element for people to become, and Medvedev would be a good example. Right. So by the time he plays that finals, he, like, you don't have to, the, in, the intensity is of such a standard and it's such a high level. You have to basically imagine an amateur facing a, a major league baseball pitcher, right? I mean, you are going to stand there and you're going to get the fright of your life when that guy pitches the ball because you're like, if this thing comes anywhere near me, I'm dead. Mm. Like literally, like you're like, I can't like 95 miles an hour. This is overwhelming. And that's what it's like when you play them. Their intensity and their quality is so high every spare moment. You don't have time to like interact and hang out with the crowd and give to them because the standard, if you, if you, if you slip up for five minutes, that set's gone. You do it the same in the next set, it's gone. So that's kind of what forced the other side of it because if you see the antics of Kyrgyz, <laughs> he's not really and, I, and you know and it's a pity that we kind of using him specifically or almost exclusively is it's happening at smaller events it's happening with people that um he can manage and control it's not happening where if he had to do well the reason why he doesn't make it past any rounds in the big grand slams is specifically for the reasons that I just brought up right because the way he reasons that he thinks he this can... is so this is so like uh, uh relevant well it is because I, I i sat and watched every match he played at the city open last year or, mm-hmm. and he was giving to the fans understood but he didn't play anybody that he shouldn't have taken care of until the semis and the final he played sits bass and then beat medvedev in the final and then he goes to cincinnati and he got a $300,000 fine and tanked the third set to hatch it off in like the third or second round of a Masters. Mm-hmm. So very relevant. No, it's, it's, I mean, he needs help. Yeah. Right. I, I, I know a lot about this game and, and I know a lot. I've spent a lot of time to try and understand those things. Um, and and it's very complicated. Like I'm not saying any part of this is, is is but if something doesn't change, if he doesn't, for example, understand this concept we just talked about, it's very difficult for him. Like he can go to the Aussie Open and everyone's gonna go rah rah. It it doesn't come down to desire. Desire right. isn't a, a factor that isn't different. It's not it's not what like, you think any person that's made the top 30 in the world their desire isn't extremely high i mean it it is it's a hundred percent right everybody now, is so good everybody yeah but but purely desire like if, if you played a davis cup match for your country in front of your home country like your desire is not going to be it everybody wants to do well right right that's how they got there <laughs> like to get there is bloody difficult it's 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 extremely difficult to get there so it can come down to desire. So if it's not going to come down to desire, so all the Aussie fans are going to get behind him and they're going to cheer him on. It almost has to, like, in his mind, he, he, he would have to, like, not be himself, right? That, that's basically what it would come down to it because if he is himself, he's going to resort to his usual antics and his, his usual, and that's not going to be enough. The thing that makes him an enigma is because I remember watching him 
about three or four years ago and he played Burdick and Burdick was a very consistent top eight player in the world, right? A bit very, like he would make a quarterfinals of a Master Series yeah. eight out of ten times and he'll make a Grand Slam quarterfinals like three or four times. He was a consistent top eight player. And he broke his serve by hitting four winners, Kurgis, right? And he made four first serves. Burdick hit four first serves and Kurgis broke him with four winners. And that's hard to do. Like, you just don't do that. Like, <laughs> it's hard to do that. So his pure talent and his pure, and, and his serving prowess, and I'm sure you saw it because, you know, they had Monfils and Murray ask and they quizzed them and they said, well, who serves? And, the, and they said his. And, and I was like surprised because in our current era with Raonic, Isner, Karlovich, now Pelka, I was like, wait, why would they pick him? And I happened to look at the stats and all-time servers of all time, based on the current algorithm that they use, he made it as the fifth best server of all time based on the algorithm. And, and Sampras measured like 11th, which blew my mind. Um, but it, it was like, and, and Roddick was, was like not even that high either. It was, it was really interesting. I didn't so see if, this. Yeah, so look at the ATP website. They'll, they'll tell you all-time serves and and quality like best serve so they use if i have this correct i yeah, probably have one of one or two things out but uh it'll be basically aces double faults service games one first serve points one and second serve points one yeah and they use those stats and, and use an algorithm and, and and work out based on those numbers who probably has the best serve so anyway, Kyrgios was, was fifth. So, so he sits with that freaking crazy good serve as well. Um, so in that sense, he's got a leg up there. But um, no, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think that, um, that he, he's got a lot to figure out.